Hello and welcome to Access Chat. It's been a long time coming, but we are finally able to welcome EA Draffen to Access Chat. EA is someone that I've known for two decades now. Uh, we've been collaborating in the space of uh, assistive technology for, for all that time, and I'm absolutely thrilled that you could finally join us as our guest today. So EA, great to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to work in, in, in the field? Because I think that's a really interesting story. Well, first, I want to say thank you for inviting me. And uh, it does feel very odd here while we're in lockdown in the UK, viewing folks in both America, Portugal, and I know you're only just up the road, but uh, it's great to be involved in this amazing chat at last. Um, and I know you did try and get me in the early days, but you know I'm not very good at doing this sort of thing. Anyway, Neil, yes, uh, two decades. That makes one feel very ancient. Um, <laughs> but actually, yes, I trained as a speech and language um, therapist probably two decades before that. So that makes me feel even older. But we were very lucky in the early days because we could experiment. I think now it's much harder for people to have um, experimentation and time to explore assistive technology. Because when we started, let's be honest, there wasn't very much available. And we were playing with things to see how much they could help people. Uh, in particular, in your case, we were looking at dyslexia, but actually as a speech and language therapist, I started looking at it from the point of view of articulation and other speech difficulties. And I think we really had a breakthrough with what was called a five and a half inch floppy disk that happened to have text to speech on it. It just revolutionized the way we could use computers, in particular for those who had communication difficulties. So that was back in the day of the BBC Commodore. But moving and jumping a long way to where we met uh, in Cambridgeshire, I think by that stage, we'd realised that those of us who were speech and language therapists, that dyslexia was something that could really benefit from the use of assistive technology. And I think you'll agree with me that sitting on Ian's sofa up in Cambridge, playing with devices that were sometimes large recorders, sometimes uh, tapes um, with sticky you know, backed tape recording stripes on them that you could put through a machine, uh, and sometimes, as I said, floppy disks that went into a computer and spoke back. So we had text-to-speech quite early on. What worried us was the quality. I don't know if you remember that voice quality was just awful. The robotic voice was really off-putting. So, yeah, I started in about 2001. So Abby, James and I joined the same time. In fact, we applied right. for the same job and Ian split it between the two of us. Oh, well, you missed deck talk on the robot then. But No, but I do remember... <laughs> I, but, I cleared out all of the, the cupboards full of tech yes. talk. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yes, I, I remember the poor quality of, of, uh, of the voices, but I also remember with great fondness, one of the things I loved about Insys was the fact that we had that same um, license to experiment yes. and license to play with stuff. Yep. Um, and, and Ian was always very uh, open to, to people um exploring their curiosity and seeing what we could do which is really unusual well it was because it allowed me when i i was very very fortunate in 1995 to get a winston churchill traveling fellowship 
which allowed me three months in the United States where we felt they were miles ahead of us, at least five years ahead of us, if not more, with IBM and Apple Mac and everything else coming on stream. And so I was given this fantastic chance to travel right the way up the eastern seaboard or down the eastern seaboard, actually, and then down the western seaboard, visiting various tech access centers, visiting all sorts of other places where people were experimenting with assistive technology. And one of the things that happened up in um, Washington State was that I met the innovators of Inspiration, which was a mind mapping program. And in those days, Dan Condon, underneath the staircase at the university, and I spent at least a couple of evenings trying to work out whether this sort of idea that Tony Buzan had introduced would work on a computer. And I remember bringing it back to Ian and saying, Ian, do you think this is going to help? Can we do it? Inspiration then became something that I think we all advised was going to be a game changer for some dyslexics, not all, but for some, because it meant that you could mind map your ideas in any order you wanted, and then you could try and sort them out. I still use it. Yeah. After all this time. Yeah. It, it's not pretty. No. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's, the own, it's really the only bit of software that allows you to brain dump and then organize your ideas because all of the rest try and give force structure upon you and actually uh, a neurodivergent mind that is full of ideas firing off. The last thing you want to do is get stuck in the structure. So, um, I would go on, to, go on, Deborah. I, I, well, and I, I actually, <clears throat> I have a question for both of y'all for Neil and EA, because I find that we still are not supporting people with dyslexia in the U.S. with any kind of technology tools. And I was really glad when when Neil came out that he had mm. dyslexia because somebody on my team, and I won't say who, <clears throat> but one of my team members has ADHD. I do, but one of my team members does. And the other day we were talking about disabilities and he said, I don't have a disability. And I said, um, according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, you do. And he's like, no, 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 ADHD. And I said, no, no, no. ADHD is, dyslexia is considered a disability. And so I was sort of surprised that he did not know that. But he's a young man that just started with us. But it made me think, I don't, it doesn't seem like we're still using assistive technology. We're not really using it to support people with dyslexia. So you're talking about this tool and Neil saying, well, I still use it, even though it's older technology. But why, why are we, it has nothing come out that's even better or that could build upon what y'all have done to support people with dyslexia it's such a shame that and I also want to make one more comment um thank goodness that we have you in here speaking from the perspective of speech therapy I've always thought the speech therapist the occupational therapist even the physical therapist I think their role might be a little smaller but these experts are needed but I often don't see them being included in the conversation so I was just curious from those perspectives, I wanted to ask you both to maybe comment on it. Comment on. You want me to comment from the speech therapy point of view, Neil? Yes, please. <laughs> um, I think one of the problems I see is that our training, actually in assistive technology or any technology, is not sufficiently grounded in the wide breadth of disabilities that we see 
on the fringes, perhaps, of something that is a complex communication difficulty, say. So in the early days when we were speech therapists, dyslexia, for instance, it was Bevy Hornsby, it was, it was uh, Louis de Vispo, the centres there uh, that you have in America, um, and a lot of people on the sort of outskirts of, of our profession who were dealing with it. And in fact, I think dyslexia has had this problem of having perhaps not one particular training that has supported the needs of the individuals. Um, we as speech therapists come at it, I used to, at a very early age, because we knew that at 24 months, two years, you could see whether a child's language potential was growing in, in the sort of typical way that it should. And if you thought that there were going to be issues, you could almost pick them out, in particular with some children. And things like letter reversals and stuff like that, which everybody say, yep, that, that's normal, you'll get letter reversals, but the age, depending on when it is, depending on the child's development, they will start to learn to put them in the right way around and they'll start to read from left to right as opposed to sometimes opening a book backwards and that sort of thing. Actually, who does that belong to? You, you mentioned occupational therapists, physiotherapists. You know, where do teachers, specialist teachers come in? You know, where do we all work together on this one? So the training of those professionals is something that I think we still don't get quite right when it comes to using technology to support those with difficulties in whether it's communication or reading or literacy skills to include spelling and writing and everything. Wow. Go ahead, Neil. Okay, so I'm going to answer the other part of the question about um, why do we not have or whether we don't have improved tech for dyslexia. I think that some of the most useful tools that we've found have actually been things that are, are much uh, are well aligned with productivity tools. Yeah. Yeah. So so what happens that is that yeah you know, some of the, you know I love Outlook. Um not not my inbox so much, but the fact that Outlook is essentially my my memory, my brain, you know, it, it, or rather exchanges now because it all sits on the server and then syncs with my phone and all of my different devices. But that's where I store all of my communications, the, the really important stuff. Um, it's not in my documents because I can never find anything in my documents because I'm too disorganized. But I can find it in my mail because I can, for, for me, I work with people and images and so on. So if I can remember the person, then I can go back and I can find the person and I can track back and I can find the document that I need and the ideas, et cetera. Um, so the organizational tools and the communication tools in something like Outlook uh, have been you know, game-changing for me because they can m make sure that I turn up on the right day. They can remind me to do stuff, all of these kind of things. Um, do you yeah. not feel though they're game changing for you as an adult? But how are we enabling teachers? Oh no, no, but, no so, but I came. But, but yes, uh, so we don't, um, and and I think that's a problem. Yeah, uh, and I'll and I'll, I'll come back to that because I mean I I grew up not knowing I was dyslexic and 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 not using tech because I'm of of an age. Uh, you know, on that cusp where my sister got taught sort of IT, she's only three years younger than me. So we were right, I was right the wrong side of that, uh, that cutoff. So I didn't actually take up to technology until I was an adult. 
Um, and then things like speech recognition, which can be really useful. But again, it depends on context when and how you're using it, because you don't always want to be shouting at devices. You, if you're in an open plan office dictating stuff to your computer, I get that. I, I did it, but you get the mickey taken out of you, um, which actually, if you think about it, would you take the mickey out of someone else that using their assistive tech? No, but you also don't always see the mistakes you've made either. Oh, which no. Which is the other so, issue so, sometimes yeah, when you're I mean, using speech yeah. recognition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because everything is spelled correctly. It's just the wrong word. <laughs> yeah. So so you actually need to use then two assistive technologies because you need another one to read it back to you to understand that it's the wrong word uh, and to pick out those things. So actually you start with simple stuff, but then the way that you use it becomes complex. And I think that whilst some technologies have improved and come on, the the understanding of those complex interactions that we need to support ourselves haven't really changed and haven't really developed very much. And to take on EA's point, yes, the, how do we teach kids these skills early enough so that it supports them so that they don't fall behind? Yes, absolutely. And and, I, and that crosses boundaries into communication. It crosses yes. boundaries into all aspects, I think. And other disabilities, Deborah, as we know, linked to cognitive impairments, which both Neelai and yourself, I know, have been highly involved with. I don't know about Antonio, but we've been involved in the, the, the cognitive task force, the COGA task force, the web accessibility COGA task force, which they're debating whether COGA is a word we should be using, actually, because actually one of the problems is we miss out the learning disability side of it. I think uh, Steve Lee has mentioned mm. this just recently. Um, but that combination of cognitive impairment and learning disabilities which I know in the USA has a slightly different connotation. So we have intellectual impairment and we have specific learning difficulties over here in the UK. I feel that has come a long way. And I think we really have started to delve into this idea of the difference between personalization and customization. And I think that is something that perhaps our children in today's world need to know more about. Um, because I don't think schools quite understand the difference. Um, and for someone who is dyslexia, dyslexic, who needs that personalization, not just the computer saying, right, you can change the colors, you can do this, you can do that, but actually something that is individualized, that takes time. It takes up teacher time, but it also takes up support time. So EA, and I'm going to, I'm going to make Neil um, play a guest again with this question, but the thing that I'm so fascinated about is because from a few perspectives, we say dyslexia and sometimes people are like, whatever, it's such a small part, but it's not just about dyslexia. I mean, I have ADHD, which I'm, I think it's interesting in a way that society has decided my brain is broken because I have ADHD. Neil is luckily more broken than me because he's got ADHD and <laughs> dyslexia. So, so, which by the way, maybe that is not, well, I don't think it's true, right? And so I, we're not teaching this to the people that need to be taught it. We're not including the right people in the conversations. We're not having success with it. I think of another guest that Neil brought on that we all fell in love with, uh, Dr. Nancy Doyle, and the work that she was doing, which I think is just fascinating. Mm -hmm. But 
one thing I would be so curious to know is with you, you're an expert AA and really Neil is an expert Mm -hmm. in this as well, but what do y'all wish that we had? I mean, if you had a magic wand and, and you could, I mean, we know things like we would be having these rich, 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 deep conversations in training, you know, our speech therapist and our occupational therapist. But I also worry so much about adults um, aging into disabilities because which I, what I'm seeing, not just in the U.S., but certainly from the lens of the U.S., um, when you age into a disability, especially over a certain age, say really, you know, probably outside of your 20s, that's just too bad. We have supports in place sort of for our younger people, like my daughter that was born with Down syndrome, but still, I mean, the way her brain works isn't like everybody else. You know, it's a unique thing. Yeah. And probably my girl inherited her mom's little bit of ADHD and stuff, but we have some major, major issues to to deal with, but we're not dealing with them in the right way. And then we're saying, well, as society doesn't deal with it, we're saying, well, Neil's broken. And thank God Neil figured out how to make his way through all the different windows he had to climb through and the doors and the doggy doors and Mm. so that he could get to the point where he's leading major conversations, but he did it. Most people can't figure out the route to take to get. It's a a tough one. It's a tough route anyway as well. I mean, that's the other side of it. And it's even tougher when you're aging and you realize you're aging. Don't like to say that one either. (laughs) I mean, you know, we know we're failing. Um, but we also know that 25% of the population are going in that direction in the UK because we have a very, very high um, level of aging at the moment, you know, because of the 1950s, us, say we say it, yeah, okay, we'll admit it, uh, elderly. Um, and, me and in too, fact, me too. well, I mean, I think the terrible tragedy in some ways is that COVID-19 has actually highlighted that even more in a, in a really disastrous way. But actually, from the point of view of us as professionals, I think it's even more daunting because we know that organisations like WCAG have been discussing it. Uh, Organisations like UK Aid, we have lots of organisations in the UK that are very aware of the issues. And as you quite rightly say, we haven't come up with a total solution, not that there probably is one, but we haven't come up with strategies that enable us to seamlessly move that technology into that era. And in fact, you're not going to believe it. I was given a birthday present, and I'll now show off, of an Apple Watch. All the family. Because obviously, <laughs> no party, no nothing else to celebrate, no one around. So they all clubbed together, and I got a, an Apple Watch. And Abby immediately got hold of Abby James, whose husband has one as well, and said, what do I do? What do I do? This is so exciting. But actually, what has been really interesting is again, I'm going back to that time of playing and I feel very safe playing with that technology. I'm very happy innovating, going on, finding YouTube, going and finding different apps that are going to help me stay fit, so to speak, looking at the weather, the fact there's going to be a storm, checking that I'm standing up every five minutes when I'm working on my screen. I am happy experimenting. How do we give that happiness in playing with technology to our older generation, who on the whole can feel very threatened by it, can feel worried they're going to make mistakes by pressing a button, touching something, have a grandchild Thinking running in and says, stupid. you know, right. 
they think they're stupid AA because they can't figure it out. Yeah. So it's creating major self-esteem problems. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I'm glad you did because I think that that is one of the, one of the most upsetting things. My 93 year old mother FaceTimes me every morning. What is it that's made her willing to embrace that um, when she has a visual impairment? Because I know she can't see me clearly. She has appalling hearing and won't get a hearing aid or can't at the moment anyway. But still she wants to do it because she has realized it is the one way we can interact. And I think that this is the sort of thing that somehow we've got to help our, our, the next generation with. The silver surfers. And we've had, as Neil will tell you, haven't we? We've had lots of ideas that have come out of our government for achieving it. Um, We've had people who have gone out of their way to fund organizations that will support silver surfers. But somehow it's not reaching them. It's not Mm. happening. COVID-19 has resulted in tablets going into hospitals. And I'm now going to admit that we have just been given another Winston Church Memorial Trust action fund to make a very instant board builder, a very instant tool that we can create on tablets to allow charts to be made, to allow symbols to be used for those who can't speak or for those who don't have English as their first language and are stuck on a respirator or possibly going into a ventilation vent, ventilator situation where communication is really not possible. And we're looking at trying to give the healthcare professions a very easy way of making charts with symbols on them, with words on them, something that anybody can make. And we've been given this very small grant, but it's so, I'm just so excited about it. We're going to spend the next six months doing this because what we found is that all the charts that are being made, and you have a wonderful organization in America that does this, that develops charts, sends them out freely to hospitals, to speech and language therapists but they aren't customized or personalized. In other words, they don't have the picture of the person's daughter on them or son-in-law or whatever. They don't have a picture of their house or their dog or their whatever it is that makes them feel warm and in a way have a rapport with that carer so that the carer can also point to family members and say, look, do you want so-and-so to come in and see you? This sort of thing. And so we're going to build this little chart builder or whatever you want to call it, we're calling it board builder. And it's going to go onto tablets, but it can also go out and you can print a PDF. So it can be used with paper. It can be used with lamination. Um, And that grant from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust is something that I think um, I'm more excited about now than almost than I was in 1995 when I had my first grant. Because it's come at the right time in my life when I'm sort of thinking, well, do you know, I still want to experiment. I still want to see if we can do new things. So I think that's what's actually terribly exciting about assistive technology as well. Um, and the other thing that I know, Neil and you, and I think uh, John Rochford and several other people have been involved in, is text simplification. Yes. And linking text simplification to symbols. And that's another thing that I really want to happen. I want to be able to automate that in such a way that it makes it easier for people to read web pages, easier for people to read online information, because there's so much of it now. Well, we're bombarded by it. Antonio, were you about to ask a question? uh, But sometimes I feel that, uh, uh, you know, following up the conversation that uh, 
sometimes those who, who succeed more in, in providing devices or solutions that people use are those who build mass consumer products that by chance yeah. are can also be used by everyone as Alexa as others they end up succeeding more than those who are spending three years investigating or researching and suddenly Alexa comes out and a lot of people are able to use it. The iPad comes out, comes out and you are able to zoom in and, and read books. So why is this? Why? Because I, I feel I, over the last couple of weeks, I've been looking particularly at the topic of online learning. Uh, there are so many things being written for about online learning in the last 20 years. Yes, but, but on but the other the, hand. Mm -hmm. But the other end, online learning is failing. Absolutely, because people are just churning out. And, and Abby James and I did a whole online learning series of MOOCs. And the one thing that doesn't seem to have got across, we can only cope with bite-sized chunks. We really cannot cope with streams and streams of online text that flows down the screen with a video here and you must go and do this there and then you must do this. I find it really hard doing online learning. I'm, I'm admitting that I can sit and watch only so many videos. And if they're longer than two or three minutes, yeah. I'm afraid my attention's yeah. gone. Yeah. Oh, welcome to welcome to the world of ADHD. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but seriously, it just amplifies that yeah. that need for for simplicity and um and clarity about what it is the message you're trying to get across and I think that I like the point that you've made um, because there's there's a whole rich other debate around whether designing specific assistive tech versus inclusive mainstream tech is the way to go I think there's always going to be a need for certain things to be specific but but actually when we design inclusively actually we make usually we're making easier products for everyone to use and they they can hit the mass market and there has been an argument and, and going back to ian's days actually the, uh, ian and i had a debate as to whether or not we should have a pricing strategy around a product where we went really really low and he wanted to go high because it was expensive and I wanted to go mass market. And, and, and there are those tensions within the assistive tech industry in general. And, and in fact, if you go and, and buy the components, the text-to-speech components, the OCR, the things that make up most of these um, smart apps now, if you went out and bought them and you told the company that you were buying these libraries to make an assistive technology, they would charge you far more for every use of that than if you said you were making a game. So, mm. uh, because they thought that games were mass market and assistive tech is not. So, so just the fact that the, the people that are making these components perceive assistive technology to be niche creates this self-perpetuating thing where it's expensive the whole time. So you kind of have to convince the the makers of the components or the libraries that you're going to go mass market and then find another way to monetize because otherwise you're pricing people out of the market and you're expecting people to pay for this stuff through grants. But isn't that exactly what Antonio was saying? Alexa can now turn your lights on. Alexa is an Absolutely. environmental aid. 
and it is now within a price structure that, that local social care workers uh, who are advising can might be suggest, able to say, yep. Yeah, go and buy that instead of um, going through a grant-based system that requires mm -hmm. specialist assistive tech. Yes, we need to, yes, we need to mainstream it. And over the years, you can now at least get a lot of these services in the cloud and integrate them into your apps at a much lower price than running them on device. The peril of running them in the cloud is as soon as you lose connectivity, your yeah. assistive tech stops working. Well, actually, your assistive tech can stop working when you go out in the sun as well. Let's be honest about it. The iPad, which is a miracle of, of ingenuity yeah. in terms of some aug augmentative communication aids, you know, you use the iPad or, or even a, you know, an Android tablet and you then try and go and communicate outside. And what happens if you're in Portugal in particular, where you have a, a blue sky? <laughs> Well, um, well, but that's also partly a, a design thing where they've gone shiny, looks nicer and more premium when actually a matte screen would uh, well, Kindle with its flare. imprint, yeah. Yeah, so, so there, there are all of these different things at play when we're designing products and services that, that impact on our ability to use them. And some are uh, aesthetics and, and uh, there is that whole debate and, you know, accessibility is... Yeah, is often accused of of sacrificing aesthetics yeah. for, for for usability, and I think that a lot of the time that's a false accusation. But mm. sometimes, yes, there well, is. There were this bricks. Trail. There were bricks that we used to have to carry around if we wanted yes. to yeah. have accessibility. Yeah. So no more, no more. Although I would love advice. Uh, my mother, ninety three, is desperate to have a phone that is a touchscreen because she's put marmalade all over her um, phone that was had, had a couple of uh, a keyboard at the bottom of it. And now it's all sticky. And I'm, I've been looking around trying to find a phone that she could use because obviously the fingertips of her, mm -hmm. uh, her fingertips have, have slightly lost the sense of touch and the keyboard on an ordinary six by four or whatever is too small. And short of having a sort of half a tablet that she's got to carry around and put to her ear, it is a really difficult problem yes um the, you know the i think there's one or two doros that, yes well that, she's, that she's got a doro that's what she has already no but but there's a doro um android with a, yeah one. with a screen that's big enough whether whether or not the screen's big. yeah or the other thing that's come out recently is action blocks for android no i'd love to play with which those. I, I which i'd like to have a play with too yes. so um Okay, well, we'll have to meet up and have a play with them one day. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yes, just geeking out a bit. <laughs> a bit. Right. But, but I think that, um, I think the, the final thing that I wanted to think about really was the, that you kind of touched on was we've made tech so much more complex mm. and at the yeah. same time obfuscated how, do you, how you actually use this. So, so how do you learn? Uh, how do you learn to use tech if it's well, hidden? I was going to say, has it become like a car? Whereas in the old days, we could take a spark plug out and we could clean it. We actually could fill up our water bottle very easily when we opened the bonnet. We could see the water bottle and fill it up. Have we, with all our built-in technologies that we now have on most operating systems, sometimes made it harder for people to get access to them. 
Uh, in theory, it should be much easier. But I think with the multitudinous of the mobile app and the fact that we've now got progressive web apps coming on, which is going to mean that every app can be wrapped up and put onto any device, possibly we are going to make it harder sometimes for people to actually be able to change them, understand, manipulate them, use mm-hmm. them. I don't know. It's just a, a thought. I have another, I have another uh, problem to throw at y'all while we're doing this. Um, I hear, I know, I, I hear often, and we actually have um, a, one of our community members that's very engaged that um, argues with, we argue about this point, but I keep hearing that, you know, assistive technology is dead and that we don't need assistive technology anymore because mainstream is just going to deal with it. And so I don't even know why we're talking about assistive technology because, because it doesn't matter. And um, I, for example, this, this one community member that um, he does a really good job at, at, um, you know, creating a website that maybe you wouldn't have to use assistive technology. What I sometimes argue with him about is the problem is um, I have to use assistive technology to actually get to your website before I don't have to use technology again. But if you, I would rather use my own assistive technology to navigate your website. Well, maybe people don't have us anyway. So these are really big problems. And I think these are, this is a, a threat to the assistive technology industry because I do not perceive that mainstream technology can solve these assistive technology problems. Not yet. So anyway, but you're well, more of an expert about this than me. So well, I, well, I was going to say, Neil, yeah. Neil actually mentioned that. The, the, the sort of triangle, the tip. So you have your access technologies right at the top, and then Neil was mentioning the productive, you know, ones for production, productivity, I should say. And then down at the bottom, we have all the free mobile apps, the things that we can deal with. But actually, at that top of that triangle, you imagine you are a student who needs an Excel spreadsheet that has to have some macro that's going to work. There is no way that a free built-in screen reader, if you are a blind student, is going to be able to map to that Excel spreadsheet and produce that macro in the way you necessarily want to, because it won't necessarily have the right mapping. You know, you, you will be able to map it and you'll, you'll even be able to get the assistive technology expert to do that little bit of changing to that very expensive screen reader. So there is still, I think, in particular for those who have who are blind, those who have severe hearing impairments and need cap- proper captioning, proper audio descriptions, proper everything else, there is still a very, very, very important space for assistive technology that works 100% of the time. So does AT need a, a branding, a rebranding? Because there's so many people that think it's dead, well, which I don't people, agree with. No, well, a lot of people used to call it in the old days access technology just as you were describing, in order to Mm -hmm. access my computer, I have to have access technology. If I am an AAC user and I don't have any speech or spoken language, Mm -hmm. I cannot access my computer without those symbols, without that that way of using a particular toggle switch, using a particular, um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a pad, you know, whatever it is, a touch switch that's very small. I still need that dedicated device. So, so I think that, that that's a really good point because all good technology is designed to assist you, but some people require specific technology in order to access mainstream technology. 
So, uh, and, and then accessibility in the main is the interoperability and, and, and compatibility between yeah. the two. You, you can't one have the, one without the other. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so a lot of the work that we do in my day job is about not, not just sort of supplying the assistive tech, because anyone can supply assistive tech. It's about understanding the interactions between the other technologies. And, and, and in a day where, you know, everyone's got Office 365 or, or uh, you know, G Suite that is constantly updated, you need to constantly update and, and continue to maintain the interoperability of your assistive tech and your access tech and you well, need the specialist to support you when you suddenly find it's not working or yes. when you don't know how to make it work with the latest yes. things that's just been updated or there is a bug that doesn't allow it to work. And I think yes. that that's the other side that we haven't actually touched on. But I know yeah. we, we, we've no, no, but that's, so but that's much a, to talk but about. That, but that's absolutely the, the work that we do a lot of is mm. to proactively try and test all of this stuff and, and, and make sure that it, it does work and... You know, uh, I think, you know, for example, uh, we have to close in a moment, but uh, you know, the rolling out of new video drivers, mm. most people don't think about that, but that can have an absolutely incredible impact on assistive technology because it and can interfere, with, interfere yeah. with how they work or just stop them working altogether. Right, and you're you're doing. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm having to put my hand up because my husband is about to appear. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I want to say, um, I, I think it's amazing that you are doing that at Atos, Neil. Amazing and such a best practice. But but I don't see other corporations doing that. So it's I think it's hard. fabulous. I know it's hard, but but. It, 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 but it allows your employees to be more productive. So how why do, how do we get the other corporations doing this? I know that's a hard question, but how do we get people supporting the work that EA is doing? And I, I mean, I love that grant that you're doing, EA. That and I didn't know about it. How, how do we support it? Because we keep living leaving these pieces out, and we're yeah. not going to. We're not going to really be included until we solve these things. No, so and, and, and how do we the, show the leadership of yeah, you know the grants? Happening? The grants are very hard to come by. I think this is across the world now. I think we are going to find it much harder. I don't know if anyone's looked online, but you will find everything is related to COVID nineteen and to online learning, as Antonio talked about MOOCs. Lots of work investigating that. Um, I'm afraid disability in a way, has, is going to have a tough time at the moment because and digital accessibility because it's not something that we can cure immediately. And I think a lot of the funding is going towards things that can be cured, and I'm, I'm using the word in a medical way here, rather than strategies that need to be put in place to support. It's so, a tough one. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to go down the path of techno-solutionism. Anyway, on that happy note, I'm going <laughs> to say thank you very much to our, our supporters, Barclays Access, Microlink, and MyClearText for keeping us captioned and on air. And thank you, EA. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank and you. <laughs> look forward to you joining you. us on Twitter.
And, and we we thanks to your husband for making a surprise visit. Sometimes Antonio's daughter does. I don't know where she is today, but uh, we 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 like the little photo bombs. So well, it, it's amazing to have him around. That, that's one thing that is, right. uh, about COVID nineteen. We are in lockdown together. Yes, yes. So thank you very very much indeed, and it's been very enjoyable having a, a lovely discussion like this.